0: at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. This morning I want to talk and teach about grace. I want to talk about grace. If you're a mother, then you already know about grace. Because the moment that you became pregnant, you said, oh Lord, help me. (laughs) You are calling out for grace. And the moment that child took their first breath you already knew you needed God's grace but if you're a mother you also have extended grace you cannot be a parent without knowing about grace because your children are going to need grace we all need grace in fact that's how God treats us with grace is there anybody in here that's ever messed up okay I just want to make sure I wasn't the only one I want to make sure I'm in a real church this morning and not in the petrified church of America where everybody's a statue. If you're a statue, you don't move. You don't make any mistakes. Children are going to make mistakes. They're going to require patience. They're going to require love. They're going to, it's going to be necessary that you give them forgiveness, that you give them mercy, that you give them grace. That's how God treats us. And yet he still loves us. So if you're a mom, you know all about grace. You know all about your children breaking your heart, and yet you still love them. And sometimes you give them an opportunity to break your heart all over again, and you know they're going to do it, and yet you still love them. So I want to talk about grace. I want to just entitle this message, Grace is His Name. Grace is His Name. You know, we often talk about the word grace. It's not, it it is also a female's name. It's a female's name, but uh, yesterday I was watching the news and I, and I saw this story that came across the most popular baby names last year. And I thought to myself, ain't nobody at Park Lawn, they, ain't they baby these names. <laughs> I don't know who, what survey they got a hold of, but for girls, it was Emma, Olivia. We might have Olivia too in here. Ava. We got an Ava here. Isabella. Sophia. Those were the popular girl names. The popular boy names were Liam. I told y'all, that wasn't no park name. Liam, Noah, we might have a Noah. William, James, Oliver. (laughs) James said, yeah, my mama got that one right. Oliver. But you know, when you think about the name that you got, Parents give us names because that name reminded them of a person, a place, an event, or something that was significant in their lives that that they remember. Names represent not only that, but they represent character. They represent a story. And in in the Bible, the name Isaac meant laughter because God was letting Abraham and Sarah know that I got the last laugh. You went on ahead ahead of me without me, and you had a child named him Ishmael, but the promise is not coming through Ishmael, it's coming through Isaac. And you're going to laugh with joy. The name Abraham itself means a father of nations. Sometimes we, we don't just have good experiences, we have tragic experiences in life, and they leave a mark, they leave a wound, they leave a scar, and we start changing folks' names, like Jabez's mother. At his birth, she said, he who causes pain, that's the name I'm going to give you. That's what Jabez means. He who causes pain. So every time they called his name, she was, they were reminding him, whatever experience your mother had, not just in childbirth, maybe it was a man who caused pain in her life. Maybe it was the circumstances of her life, but she gave him that name. But there's another example in, Bible, in the Bible that I believe that God wants us to model after today. And that is the life of Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob. And you all know the story, biblical story of Joseph that he, had, he was a dreamer and he had dreams. He told them to his brothers and his parents and, and they didn't believe him. His brothers hated him. They threw him in a pit. They were going to kill him. Instead, they decided they would profit and they would sell him into slavery. Slavery. He went to working from from the pit. He went to working into slavery in Potiphar's house, and from Potiphar's house, he went into prison. In Genesis chapter forty-one, Joseph reminds us that by God's grace, we can turn those painful places into peaceful places. We can take that which has been made bitter in our lives, and we can become better as a result of it. In, in verse fifty of Genesis forty-one before that famine came that Joseph had dreamed about he God exalted him by his grace and gave him a beautiful wife and verse 51 said Joseph had children he named his firstborn manasseh because he said it is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household so everything that my brothers did to me I'm naming this child manasseh which which just says, I may remember it, but I'm not going to remember the pain. I may still have a scar, but it don't hurt. It's not a wound anymore. So he called his name Manasseh. Verse 52, the second son, he named Ephraim because he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. That's my prayer for you all today, for mothers and for every one of us. Is that God would turn our our circumstance and our situation around. So I want to submit to you that grace is not just a girl's name. If you want to know about the character of Jesus, you want to know about his modus of operation, his mod, his 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 method of operation. It is by grace. The name of Jesus is grace. In fact, in the in the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse sixteen. It tells us in verse 16 that out of his fullness, talking about the fullness and the abundance of God, we have all received grace in place of grace. Another translation says that we have received grace upon grace. See, God is abounding in grace. He is full of grace. He wants to reveal himself to us. So he revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. And out of that fullness, we have received grace in place of grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God said in verse 18, he says, no one ever saw God but the only one, the only son who is himself God has made him known to us. So grace left heaven and became flesh and revealed himself to us. This morning I want to make a case for grace. I want to make a case for grace and and I want to just go and, and preface this message to say that this is probably the most important message that I have preached in 2019. I believe that this message will become, should become a foundation for every one of our personal lives, not discounting any of the other messages because they're, they're applicable to our lives as well. But I believe that God is providing a platform for us to go to a higher level personally And and, and a platform and a position for this church to begin to operate out of in a new level of grace and understanding is grace. So let me present a case for grace. Grace is a big word. It's a God word. It's not a word that, that we normally use and understand in our human vernacular. Our natural minds cannot comprehend God's grace. We have some misconceptions about the word grace. We believe, and rightly so, that grace is necessary for salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that it's by grace, through faith, that we are saved. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. But we stop right there, and we box up our salvation, and we box up grace, and then we go on living by good works. We stop at grace and think that, Grace saved me, but that's all that grace is good for. That's a misconception. And then we begin to live back according to the law. We start living by performance and we start living by rules and regulations. These simply lead to more legalistic bondage and they take us farther and farther away from the grace of God. Another misconception is that we think that grace is a thing. Grace is not a thing. Grace is a person. It's not a theological concept, it's Jesus. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here's another misconception. Some of us believe that grace is a license to sin. Why, I'm glad you're preaching on grace, Bishop. I'm glad you, because I got some stuff I want to do. It's Mother's Day weekend. And I want to I do it, and I want grace to cover me and forgive me right after I do it. Grace is not a license to sin. If you think that, you, you have missed the, the practical aspect of God's daily grace supplying in your life. Grace is not a license to sin, but grace will teach you not to sin. Grace will teach you to say no to sin. I, I introduced the name Abraham and how he and his wife Sarah, Sarah got ahead of God. And she gave Abraham her maid servant named Hagar to produce a child because God's promise was not coming fast enough and in the book of Galatians the Bible says that you as believers were not born under Hagar but you were born under Sarah so we often have asked the question who's your daddy but I want to ask the question who's your mama Because you can either live under Sarah or you can live under Hagar. You can either live under the law and under the old bondage of the old covenant of religion and self-works. Doing it yourself. Which is what Hagar and Ishmael represent. Or you can live as a child of promise, which Isaac was. He was born without any effort. He was born by faith. When Abraham and Sarah's body were past the, the age of producing what was necessary to to, uh, conceive a child. It was by grace and their simple act of faith and obedience to God that Isaac was born. So you got to decide who your mama's going to be. And grace is also necessary for every one of us. I talked about how mothers understand grace because you know every day in your life you need grace. But every one of us needs grace. Grace. You need grace to go to work. You need grace to deal with the people at work. You need grace to deal with the people that you left at home. You need grace when you go to the gas station and you got $5 and you got a $10 ride ahead of you. And you need need God's grace to step in. You need grace when the doctor gives you a diagnosis. You need grace when your mother and father are on their deathbed. You need grace on Mother's Day when mother and father are already gone. You need grace every day. And so God says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient for you. It's it's good for you, not just for salvation, but for every day of your life because we live in human weakness. So he says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Grace is big enough to help you with every situation. So as I build this case for grace, there are two stories, significant stories in the life of Jesus that illustrate the grace of God more than, more than, than any of the others. God wants us to experience his grace, but the first story that that demonstrates the the name Jesus and what grace is all about is the story of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. I'm not going to turn there, but I'm going to give you the Walter Harvey version of that this morning. In John chapter 8, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they wanted to trap Jesus and they wanted to get rid of him because People were responding to the love that he demonstrated. They were responding to grace on the scene and crowds were all around him and they were leaving the law. They were leaving a a religious relationship that was based on rules and regulation and they were flocking to Jesus. And they said, we got to get rid of this fella. So let's trap him with our own law. Let's find this woman whom we know what she's going to be doing where she's going to be doing and who she's going to be doing with. She is a known fornicator. Fornicator, what's that mean? I remember when I first got saved, we couldn't even say that. We used to call it fornication and, you know, fornication is having sex before you are married. Whether it's sex with yourself or heterosexual sex or same sex. It's sex outside of marriage. It's, It's immoral sex. And they knew this woman, that this was her habit and her pattern. They said, let's trap her. Let's get a man who will go in and set her up. And we will catch her right in the act of adultery. I don't want to get too graphic on Mother's Day, but they went in, they caught him. They weren't pretending. They caught them. And they dragged the woman out. And maybe she had time enough to grab The stained bed sheet to wrap herself in it or not. But they dragged the woman and they threw her down in the presence of Jesus. And they said, Jesus, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Now, you know, and everybody knows that our law, the law of Moses says that anybody caught having sex outside of marriage or before marriage, they should be stoned. But what do you say? Now we're going to challenge this grace message that you got. Jesus said, "Okay, you're right. He that is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. You see, you and I are just like that woman caught in the act of adultery. I'm talking to every one of you in here. Whether you've been, say, 50 years or five minutes, we're like that woman caught in the act of adultery because every one of us has that same Human nature of living a life that's independent, of doing our own thing, of living our life the way we choose outside of God's boundaries. I know God said this. I know mom and daddy taught me that. But I'm going to do what I want to do. Whatever we do outside of God's boundaries, not only infects and affects us, but it affects the people around us and the people in the world. And it affects God. It breaks God's heart. Because God has a plan for our lives. And yet, just like the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus refused to condemn her. He said to her, after they dropped their stones, because they knew they were not sinless, everyone dropped their stone until Jesus and the woman alone were standing there. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? Did you know who she was talking to? Jesus. He was the only one who was without sin. If anybody could have thrown the first stone, it would have been him. He said, he that is without sin, throw the first stone at her. Every human person left until she and he were standing there. Did he pick up a stone? No. He said, woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So grace is not only grace to save you, but it's grace to keep you. It's grace to to not condemn you but his grace to give you power to go on and not sin anymore that's the voice of grace the second story that illustrates more than any other that grace is his name is the story of the prodigal son (laughs) you know it's it's interesting that when you read the stories of, of Jesus the stories of grace that we come across another sex story right don't y'all get quiet on me because, you know, religious folks are something else. I'll tell you, they act like they don't like sex. They act like they don't like sex. The moment you guys say, oh, guess we can't, we can't enjoy sex. We can't enjoy money. We, you know, we can't enjoy steak and lobster and shrimp no more. And we got to eat oatmeal and grits. And the devil is a liar. As you do it in the will of God and do it in the boundaries of God's purpose you better enjoy it but I'm telling you when you want to understand God's grace he takes you to some messy places this woman caught in the act of adultery I didn't give you the the x-rated version of it but you can imagine what happened in John chapter 8 not in Luke chapter 15 there's another sex story of this this prodigal son who again like the woman and like you and I has decided to live a life of independence a life of rule-breaking A life of disrespecting authority. A life of saying that I'm my own authority in my life. I decide what's right and what's wrong for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't care how you feel about it. Whether you approve of it or disapprove of it. (laughs) And the Bible says that the religious folks criticize Jesus. Because he was always hanging around sinners. Now let me talk about grace. Let me, let me talk about the presence of grace. Because when I look at these stories, and I could take you to others, but for the sake of time I won't. But whenever grace shows up, it appears that the floodgates of sin have just opened up. Whenever we start hearing messages of grace, And people's hearts respond to that. It appears that every tax collector, every sinner, every prostitute, every drunkard. And these were the kind of people that came to hear the message of Jesus. These were the kind of people he spent time ministering to. It seems that when you talk about grace, that we start thinking that everything that's going on outside in the world now is coming into the church he wasn't like that before, back in the olden days when we wore our skirts down to our ankles, I'm talking about the skirts, not the dresses. The dresses had a train on them. The skirts went to the ankles. (laughs) We were living sanctified and holy then. But now with this message of grace, it seems like People now have a license to sin. It appears that anything goes. The bigger the mess, it seems that the bigger grace shows up. So Jesus told this, this parable for his, his critics to understand grace. He told the parable about a lost coin. You know, something that is it's valuable to some, but... It was valuable to the woman enough that she, she swept the house and turned on every light until she found it. Then he told the parable about a lost sheep, how the shepherd, he, he valued that one sheep. Even though he had 99 others, he went after the one until he found it. And then he told the parable about the lost son. And he wanted, wanted us to know that, that God gives grace not just for good people. Grace is not just for the for the saved, sanctified, good, clean folks. In fact, you need less grace. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase or grace may abound? Because it seems like, Bishop, you preach this message, man. Sin is just going to increase. It's going to abound. Everybody that we don't want in the church going to come to church. Who said that we don't want them to come to church? You said that. God didn't say that. Everybody we don't want to see in heaven going to be in heaven. Well, it ain't yours anyway. It's his. The more... Sin abounds, the more grace abounds. That says to me, the bigger the mess, the bigger the grace. The bigger mess your life is, the bigger God's grace can manifest. When grace shows up, it seems that everything just comes out of the woodwork. Seems like sin is magnified, like the floodgates are open. No, it ain't like that. I'm going to just tell you this. It was already here. It was hiding under that long skirt. You couldn't see it under the train of the dress, you couldn't see it behind the three piece suit. You didn't live with it and go home with it. You just saw it for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. It was already here. This was who we already were. Now grace comes and now it says... you mean God will accept me in my mess? That I don't have to get right first and then come to him? No, we're now seeing it clearer when grace shows up. Then after the presence of grace grace speaks because grace has a voice and Jesus grace says come as you are see the church been saying that for years come as you are no but grace really means it <laughs> grace really means it we say that but we don't mean it oh come on you let somebody come in here and they got they got the sin that you hate it's the sin that you don't do but it's a sin that you hate. See, your sin is an acceptable sin, but they got one of those sins that are on the list that, no, you can't get into heaven with this. And I get into heaven with mine, but you can't get in there with this one. We start picking and choosing in, and that's the voice of religion because the voice of religion says, come as you are, but wait a minute, no, you, you can't come. You've been, you've been married three times. You can come, you only been divorced once and that divorce happened before you got saved. You can come, you can come. You got, you got same sex attraction but as long as you ain't practicing it, you can come. But even if you are practicing, just don't let us know. Don't, you know, dress, you know, dress like a man when you come. Won't even let you serve in the church. That's the voice of religion. You can come. You only had one baby before you got married. But no, you, you got four and you're pregnant now, so you can't come. How long you been practicing that gay lifestyle? When, when was the last time Okay, you can come. It was over two years ago. Okay, you can come. Two days ago? No, 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 you can't come. Do you identify as a man or as a woman? We ain't about to open up no third bathrooms in here. So if you come, you got to pick the man or the woman's. That's the voice of religion. Grace says, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your habit is. I don't care what your hang up is. I don't care what your mess is. Come and I really mean it. See, when grace shows up, the presence of grace and the voice of grace, the real you is going to show up. And when the real you shows up, I'm going to start asking the question, okay, do you still love me? because I, I haven't showed you who I really am because I was afraid you were going to reject me and not love me. And so I just, I just acted like I thought you wanted me to act. I start dressing like the rest of y'all was dressing. Y'all really can't dress that good anyway, but I, I just started dressing like the rest of y'all anyway. I was dressing better when I was in the world. But can you handle me when I'm unmasked? Can you handle the real me? Not the fake me. Not the religious me. Not the Sunday me. But the Saturday night me. The eagle come on Friday, right? Saturday we go out to play. I'm talking about that me. Some of y'all don't remember, don't know what the eagle is. I'm talking to the to the 50 and older crowd. Y'all know what that, e- that paycheck come on Friday. The eagle comes on Friday. It fly on Friday. Saturday we go out to play. Can you love that me? Because when grace shows up, the presence of grace and the voice of grace, then we also see the face of grace. And grace refuses to wear a mask grace says look in my face this is the real me not the mask as paul lawrence dunbar the famous black poet said we wear the mask that grins and lies it hides our cheeks and shades our eyes the word hypocrisy means to play act it means to wear a mask to be Somebody behind the mask other than the person that you really are without the mask that's what hypocrisy is is to be another person out in front in public than you are really in private but grace takes the mask off she refuses to wear a mask she says this is who I really am I refuse to try to pretend to be somebody to get God's approval. He already knows who I am. Grace says, I refuse to try to live up to your standards to get your approval. That's hypocrisy. Can I just free you all up? I said this this could be foundational to your life and foundational to this church. And I already know that once I say this, people are going to say, oh, they go to church. Everybody going, they going, they going to start doing that, whatever they want to do. No, it's it's already happening. But this is the word. Stop pretending to be good. Stop pretending. (laughs) Who, don't you feel freer already? You thought this was just going to be about mama. This is for all of us. The church encourages hypocrisy. We want you to come and we want you to act this way. We want you to dress this way. We want you to, to act like you have got it all together. Like you've always had it all together. Don't let your testimony be too uh, reminiscent of how deep and how dark your past was. Clean it up. Sanctify your testimony a little bit. <laughs> right? <laughs> we might even give you the mic. We say we will accept certain standards of spirituality. We will accept this level of human weakness. But if your level of human weakness is, no, my my meter don't go that high. No, you got to find another church. We ain't that kind of church. Grace refuses to wear the mask. And so grace says, confess your sins. James 5, 16, confess your sins, your faults, one to another. Ain't nobody confessing weakness in here. How you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Blessed by the best. Too blessed to be stressed. No. How you really doing? When my mama was was alive, she would, she would hug us and and she would just kind of grab your back so you couldn't leave after she hugged you. Because she wanted to look in your eyes and see how you really doing. Because she knew me from back in the day when you can look at a person's eyes. Yeah, yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You The eyes are the window to the soul. She would hold you so you couldn't like, I'm good, mama, and then leave. No, she would hold you and you'd be like, oh man, she got me now. She, and then she'd also feel to see if you had a t-shirt on. Because if it was 50 degrees or colder, you better have a t-shirt on. I wear t-shirts Almost every day. It could be 90 degrees. I got a t-shirt on, y'all. Because I'm thinking about mama. She going to grab my back, look in my eyes, and rub me to see if she can see feel the seam of the t-shirt. She mama was real. You can confess your fault to me, son. See, you can't do that with everybody. You can't do that with everybody. Let me go on. I'll come back to that. So, grace not only has presence, not only speaks, not only shows you her face, but the hand of grace. Grace has a hand. And when grace shows up, grace takes the control out of your hands. See, you thought you were the key to getting saved. You thought it was in your hands whether or not you would be saved. Mm -mm. It's always have been in God's hands. It's never really been in your hands. You thought you were the key to getting healed. You thought you were the key to getting the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You thought you were the key to being kept. You thought you were the key to being delivered. You thought it was in your hands. It's never been in your hands. It's by grace through faith. Your part is simply faith. It's just, okay, I guess I'll do that. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. Another story of Jesus and an illustration of grace. I'm telling you, it's messy, messy folks. Messy folks. Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. You know what a tax collector was? It was a Jewish person who had sold their soul to the Roman government. That I'm gonna work for the, I'm gonna work for the enemy. I'm gonna make money off of my own people. Working for the enemy. The enemy already stepping on your neck, robbing you. And I'm going to join the enemy. I'm going to rob you too. Tax collector. Come to Matthew's tax collecting booth. First of all, most of us would never have even gone down that street. We know where Matthew's work. We ain't going down there. That's where the enemy lives. That's where the enemy works. He goes to the tax collecting booth. He goes to his job. Says, follow me. Matthew got up when he heard the voice of grace. Say, really, me? You want me? You want me to come as I am? You don't want me to get right first? You don't want me to stop doing this first? Just come and follow you now? He got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Not only at his job, now he's at his house. Many other tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, those religious folks that misconstrue grace, they saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Healed people don't need a doctor. Healed people have already experienced grace. Saved people have already experienced grace. But grace shows up not just for good folks, but for everybody. We all need grace. But we act like we're not sick. So you act like you don't need a doctor, so grace can't show up in your life. You act like you got it all together, like you, you're super saved, so grace can't really show up. You're pretending to be saved. But when grace shows up, she takes control from us. I'm free. I'm telling you all, when, when you all come for prayer, I'm not the healer. I don't care which prayer line you get in. I don't care if it's a minister, if it's an elder, if it's another pastor, if it's one of our altar workers. Listen, none of us have the power to heal you. It ain't never been in our hands. It ain't never been in our hands. (laughs) Stop looking for us to perform. Are you ready? Come on, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Ah, there it is. There it is. Did you feel it? Did you feel it? I ain't performing for none of y'all. It ain't in my hands. It's in his hands. His grace will save you. His grace will heal you. His grape will keep you. His grape will, will free you. It's only by grace. Let me, let me, let me. I got, I got two more. I got, I got two more. Now we go to the care of Grace. See, once grace takes you in his hand, then grace begins to care for you. Years ago, I learned this in this message probably 20 years ago, and I never forgot it. And that message was that God's grace is the servant of his glory. God's grace is the servant of his glory. And that simply means that whenever we have a desire to glorify God, even when we may not know how to do it, God sends his grace down there, go and help them. Help them because they're seeking to glorify me. And so grace is a messenger. But grace also has a messenger in the same way. Grace, Jesus, he sends mercy out after us to restore us. Y'all remember the Psalm 23, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's grace and mercy. They're cousins and grace is the older cousin. And grace sends mercy out to find us. To restore us and bring us back into right relationship with Him. See, mercy found me. Where did mercy find you? Was it in a seedy motel? Was it in the back seat of a of a station wagon? Was it in a crack house? Because grace sends mercy out to restore you, like you're the lost coin. You're like you're the lost sheep. Like you're the lost son. Mercy is looking for you. Grace has sent mercy to find you. When you should have died in that circumstance, mercy found you in that place. And mercy said, no, you can't take this child. You can't kill this man. God has a plan for their lives. Mercy will find you in a drunken stupor hanging over a bar. A drunk mercy will find you in a depressed dark room with all the curtains pulled closed. Mercy will find you when you don't feel like you are worthy, like you're not good enough, like you, you shouldn't be in the room. Mercy finds you <laughs> and mercy delivers you back to grace. Mercy shows up and says, grace, I've i I fulfilled my assignment. Here they are. You send me out to find them. I don't understand why you do it, but but I'm your servant, and here they are. Mercy delivers you back to grace, and then grace takes you under her care. <laughs> grace begins to wash you. Grace begins to bandage you up. Grace saves you. Grace cleans you up. Grace keeps you. Grace cares for you. Grace refreshes you and refills you and... And grace is committed to her own process. Grace is not committed to your process because we got got this instant saved, sanctified, glorified process. The moment you get saved, we expect you to be totally right. In fact, we want you to be right before you get saved. (laughs) But grace is committed to her own process. And that process is sending mercy out to find you in your mess. Bringing you back into her care. Saving you. Ephesians 2 and 8. By grace we're saved through faith. And now that you're saved, grace is now committed to the process of sanctification. <laughs> see, I grew up in the sanctified church. <laughs> sanctified. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. The sanctified. The, see, in the sanctified church, there was a group of folks that we called The saints. And I wasn't old enough to be with the saints. I thought you, you know, you had to be on a walker and you had to, you know, you couldn't wear stilettos and heels. You, you know, you had to have straps on your shoes and you had to have a a heel all the way across your shoe. And I thought that's what the saints were. They showed up at every prayer meeting. They was the one that got to testify, even though we heard that testimony last week and the week before that. Those were the saints. They were a protected elite's force of believers. Right? If you needed prayer, you called on the saints. I was one of the aints. I didn't. I'm just glad to be a member of the church. I knew I had some work to do to get into that class. But I want to submit this to you, that when you are saved, God sends grace to commit you to the process of sanctification. Sanctification means that you are now holy. You have been made holy, you are being made holy, and you will be made holy. That's what sanctification is. It is a process. It is a daily work of grace. It is a daily process of being made holy, but yet when God looks at you, he sees you as holy. He chooses not to see your sin. Why? Because you have been saved. You've been covered by grace. You have been saved by grace through faith. You are not no longer, uh, just because you have stepped out of the will of God, you are no longer not saved. You are still covered by that grace lest Christ have to come and die again. And now grace then puts you in that process of sanctification and as Titus 2 tells us that for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and now he teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So now that I'm saved, grace says, now teach him and her how to live holy how to live saved, but you're already a saint. And then grace is committed to the process of glorification. There's salvation, there's sanctification, and then there's glorification. We're not yet glorified, but Paul says that I'm telling you a mystery that we will not all sleep, we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. He's talking about the glorification that one day you and I are going to have a new body. We're going to experience the eternal life that is already in, it's our inheritance. We have a guarantee of that, but you won't experience it down here. While you are still down here, you're in that process of sanctification. But when you are glorified, now you have finished the process of sanctification. So God cares for us. He restores us. He restores us. Let me tell you who God uses to, he don't use everybody to restore Certainly he sends mercy, but he uses, he uses a special group of folks. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it tells us brothers and sisters. <laughs> Whew, man, that's a, that's a mouthful right there. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, who is he talking to? Brothers and sisters. See, that's already letting you right know right there that brothers and sisters sin. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me brothers and sisters he didn't say let me tell you sinners if any of you all sin why are we why are we trying to police people who are not yet God's children we're trying to police the world and trying to trying to control the behavior of the world and they don't even belong to God yet they're still serving their father the devil and we we mad because they're not acting like God's children he says brothers and sisters if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual or you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Huh. If you think you're something when you're not, you deceive yourself. Listen, you can be tempted too. Stop judging people because they sin differently than you. Hello, is this mic still working? I want to check. Y'all getting quiet on me in here. God restores us, grace restores us, but everybody can't be a restorer. You got to be spiritual. You got to be led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. You got to live by the Spirit. Then you are qualified to restore that person. <laughs> I laugh when I think about the people who Jesus used. Even in the Old Testament, God used Moses, a murderer, a stutterer. Moses was the meekest man that ever lived, but I'm telling you, if you ever got on Moses' bad side, he had a temper. He used Aaron, who was an idol maker. He used Miriam, who was a bigot. Jesus' 12 disciples included Peter, who would cuss you out and cut your ear off. Thomas, who was a doubter. Judas, who was a thief and a betrayer. James and John were called the Sons of Thunder. In my mind, I'm thinking Sons of Thunder, that sounds like a gang name. Before there was Bloods and Crips, there was the Sons of Thunder, right? I mean, they sound like they would just take you in the back alley and just, you know, work you over. The Sons of Thunder. Simon was a zealot. He was an anti-Roman government terrorist. Abraham lied. Paul consented to the murder of Christians. Joseph boasted about his dreams. Jacob deceived. Hagar was a prostitute. Ruth was an idolater and her nation offered their babies as living sacrifices to their false god. Solomon had a sex addiction. David was an adulterer and a murderer and a bad father. And Jesus hung with notorious sinners. His name is grace. And when Peter denied him three times and said, Lord, when you go to the cross, all of these might betray you and run, but I will never leave you. And that very night, before the rooster crowed, Peter denied him three times. And in John chapter 1, Jesus shows us how to restore somebody. He goes to the shore where Peter and the fishermen, are, the disciples are out there fishing and he's already prepared some fish for them. Even though they caught their own fish, see... He's not, he don't depend on your works. He got his own fish waiting for you. That's grace. They caught 153 fish. Peter dragged the net onto the shore. When he got to the shore, Jesus already had some fish roasting. That's good that you got those, man, but <laughs> I got some right here. Fish fry right here. Breakfast going on right here. Fed the disciples. Nobody said anything. And finally he asked Peter. He said, Peter, do you really love me more than these? Do you really agape Agape, unconditionally love me, the God kind of love more than these. Peter said, Lord, you know I phileo you, friendship love. Jesus says, feed my sheep, care for my lambs the way that I care for them. He asked him again a second time, Peter, do you really agape me more than these? Peter said, Lord, you know I phileo you. He said, take care of my lambs. Show him grace the way that I'm showing you right now. And finally, the third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you really phileo, friendship love me? And it grieved Peter because Jesus had went from agape two times to phileo. And Peter said, Lord, I don't even know. You know all things. Now Peter was at the place of grace. I don't even know. Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, I don't don't know, but you do. God, I'm just at the end of myself. That's where God wants to bring us. That's how you restore somebody. And then grace extends its arms to you because grace has arms. And when Jesus told the parable of grace about the prodigal son and how he went out and he lived his life independently and disrespectfully to his father and and in all types of sexual perversion and all types of of wild living the bible says in luke chapter 15 that he got up he went to his father and while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son he threw his arms around him and he kissed him and he said son The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. See, the arms of grace, they're waiting for you. They're waiting for you to come to yourself. Come to an end of yourself, where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Where you know that you've been trying everything except God's grace, and it's failed you. It's left you empty. It's left you. It's left you broke. It's left you heartbroken. It's left you scarred. It's left you dry. It's taking you further away from God. The prodigal son got as far away from his father as he could till he came to an end of that life, an end of himself. He said, I need my daddy's grace. I'm a son, but my father has servants who are working for him that are living better than I am. And here I am, I'm a son. I don't have to work for my daddy, but the workers are living better than me. He came to an end of works. And he got up and he came back home. And the father saw the son before the son even saw the father because the father's posture was always one of love, one of grace, one, son, you're my, always going to be my son. No matter what you do, mama, you know about this grace. No matter what that child do, I'm going to love you. I may not like you, but I'm going to love you. I may not give you no money anymore, but I love you. You can't stay here. You can eat, but you got to leave because I love you. But my arms are always going to be open. And the father didn't say, you can come back when you go back and get all the money that you lost. You can come back when you when you clean yourself up, going out there and wash up, use the water hose. No, he gave him the best robe, the best ring, the best shoes, and the best food that he had ever tasted. That's the arms of grace. Because grace doesn't keep a record of what you and I have done. Grace does not tally up your sins. Grace chooses not to to, to remember what you have done. As far as the east is from the west, So far has he removed our transgressions from from us. He could remember, but he chooses not to. That's grace. That's grace. I don't deserve it, but I'm so glad that he gave me his grace. And his grace never runs out. His grace never fails. His grace is abounding and out of his own fullness we have received grace in place of grace. We previously had the grace of the law but now he's replaced that with the grace of truth and mercy that cares for us. And he's seeking you this morning. He's, he's sending mercy out throughout every place in this room. And he wants to find you. He wants to find you behind your mask. He wants to find you behind your Mother's Day outfit. He wants to find you behind the person that you're pretending to be. He knows you exactly for who you are. And his arms are open. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.